0: And we're going to continue in our series, The Deeper Magic of Christmas. The past two weeks, we've looked at, one, how God keeps his promises and how because he's kept all of his promises to Simeon and to us throughout the Old Testament, in Jesus, we can trust him. Last week, we looked at how we have this in the coming of Jesus, we have an unlikely king, an unlikely message to an unlikely people, and that the only response to this is that we would worship him like we see everyone in the text do. This week, as we look, to look past the hustle and bustle, past the gifts and the stockings and the festivities, and to, uh, to understand that the coming of Jesus gives us confidence that what we believe is actually true. It's actually true. Um, Tom Hanks is probably the first person that I ever realized like was an actor and what an actor was and it's probably because of how many times I watched Forrest Gump as a kid uh, particularly also because on the VHS uh, those, that is these old things we used to watch movies on and you had to, when you had to rewind them you had to put them in another thing and it would like, like turn the, this tape backwards so you had to rewind it y'all can google it later So on the VHS box, you know, it said Tom Hanks, really big uh, on the bottom. And so Tom Hanks is like the first actor I like knew was an actor, you know, as a kid. And so, uh, but I remember when I was a kid, someone talking about Tom Hanks uh, and talking about how much of a jerk he is and how hard he was to, to work with on set and how mean he was to people and how arrogant he was. Well, I heard that as a kid and uh, just kind of assumed that it was true, uh, and so recently I was talking with somebody about Tom Hanks for some reason, I don't remember, um, and and I said in this conversation, I was like, yeah, but isn't he kind of like a really big jerk? Uh, and the person I was talking to was like, well, well no, I, I've heard the opposite. I've heard that he's actually really kind and really humble and really generous and really uh, thoughtful. And, you know, they talked about how when he had COVID with his wife, they were stuck in Australia and how tender and caring he was for her and how uh, and cited these other articles and things about how great he is. So maybe Tom Hanks is a good dude after all, and I've been deceived all these years. I don't know. But the reality is none of us in this room really know. None of us in this room know one way or the other. We've Maybe heard rumors, maybe you don't care, maybe you've read articles, seen interviews, watched his movies, but none of us know Tom Hanks, the person, personally. He's never spoken to us, we don't have a relationship with him. Now somebody's going to come up to me afterward and go, actually, this one time I met Tom Hanks. But besides that person, none of us really know. We might have an opinion, and it's probably an uninformed opinion, because we don't really know him as a person. And the question we have to look at this morning is, Can we know anything about, not Tom Hanks, but about God, truly? Or is what we know about God just the rumor mill? Is it just speculation? Or is God actually knowable? Can we have an informed, right opinion, fact about him? Or is it more like Tom Hanks that we're just guessing or repeating what we've heard? And the problem is, whether or not I know anything about the person Tom Hanks doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect my life one way or the other. But my knowledge about God and what I can know about God changes everything. And so the story of Christmas, I think this morning, has something to teach us about this question. Of can we know God and can we know him truly? Can I know things about God? Is he knowable at all? So, I want to start with looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Hebrews 1, 1 says, Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So, God has been revealing himself for a long time, He's been showing himself to humanity for a long time, and He's done that through sending prophets. Prophets are people that will come and speak on God's behalf, share God's message, share God's word, his heart to the world. And so, for centuries, prophets would come sharing this message, telling the people of God what God thinks, what God wanted them to do go build this temple, go make these sacrifices, go follow these laws, go and fight for this land. Fight those enemies. Celebrate this holiday. Eat this feast. Don't eat that food. Live like this. Don't worship like that. They would come. These prophets would come and they would call people to repentance. Stop living that way. Live this way. Change now. Turn from your sin or God will judge you. And these prophets for thousands of years would come. Mostly to the people of Israel. That they would hear from them, write down what they said, followed what they said, listen to them, to glean from them about who God is. But there are a few problems with this. The first is, you can only know God so well through somebody else. Like you can only know somebody else so well through an intermediary. Like, do you remember when you were a kid and you got mad at a friend? Y'all know where I'm going with this? You got mad at a friend and you said, well, I'm not talking to you anymore. But then you needed to talk to them. And so you got your other friend. You say, hey, you go tell Sarah that I said I don't want to watch a movie. I want to go to the playground. And then she would like, okay, uh, Sarah, she doesn't want to watch a movie. She wants to go to the playground. You know, or whatever. And, and then sometimes she'd be like, no, that's not what I said. I didn't say it. I thought we said this. Or whatever. And, and, and you, can, you, can, you kind of have this back and forth. But can you imagine having a relationship like that with somebody forever? Can you imagine the entirety of relationship that you have with someone being through someone else? That you had to tell them, like, have you ever played telephone? Things get mixed up. Words get misconstrued. You said something very specific. It doesn't come out. There's always this barrier between us. And then there's another problem, the problem of false prophets. The Bible warns of false prophets over and over and over again. They existed back in Bible times. They exist today. People who come around saying, well, this is what God says, or this is what God thinks, or true believers believe in a God who acts like this or thinks that or does this, because that's what makes God happy. Think of all the people that speak about God and truth, uh, truth about God from no source other than seemingly themselves. Seemingly their own philosophy, seemingly their own thoughts. They don't quote the scriptures, they just say, Well, I believe in a God of love, and I don't believe in a God of judgment, I believe in a God of love, and so therefore, A, B, and C. They say, Oh, I believe God accepts everyone. Even if they don't know Jesus, they just as long as someone believes in something, you know, bigger than themselves, God will accept them. They don't base that on anything concrete, just their own thinking. False prophets, false teachers existed back then, they exist today, and the problem is most false teachers sound really good. They sound really good. They sound like someone you want to listen to. And people hear them and they think, man, if I listen to this and accept this and follow this teaching, then I'll know God better. I'll know who he is and know how to follow him. I can learn and know who he is. But in reality, you're being led further away from God and you don't even realize it. And so the problem is, how do you know? How do you know who's telling the truth and who's telling a lie? How would you know if a person you were listening to is right about God or wrong about God? How do you know if you're drawing closer to Him or away? Do you base it on your feelings that are fickle? It's really hard to know. Back then and today, it's really hard to know sometimes and who, who, who to follow, who to trust, who to listen to. And that's kind of the scary part. So the question is then, how can we really know, can we really know who God is? But it's not just prophets who came to speak and share things about God, sometimes angels showed up, right? Not not super often, but every now and again an angel would show up and would speak to someone about God, give a message to someone from God. And do you know what happens every single time in the Bible that an angel shows up? Every single time an angel shows up, the first thing out of the angel's mouth is, fear not. Because this supernatural, spiritual, scary, terrifying being, being shows up and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm about to die. And the angel has to say, hey, don't be afraid. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to take you out. Calm down. Don't be afraid. Because when a supernatural being shows up, it's jarring. Isn't it terrifying? It's scary. Apparently. I don't know. I've never seen one. Apparently it's scary. But if an angel showed up to you like that, to tell you something about God, you'd probably believe it, right? You would probably think it's true and right. I think that God sent this angel to do that. But how do you know? How do you know that it wasn't a demon a pretending to look like an angel to tell you these things? The problem is none of, none of us have ever talked to an angel. We don't know what angel would look like, sound like. And the Bible tells us that demons come dressed as angels of light, that wolves always come in sheep's clothing. And so, if an angel shows up, it's pro- or if a, de- a demon shows up, it's probably not going to look like a demon. Paul says in Galatians 1 even if an angel from heaven tells you a different gospel, let that angel be anathema, let him be accursed and cut off. Like, like you think about the Mormons, who, who, let's be clear, Mormons, not Christians, not Christians, they, they base their religion on an angel. Who came, gave them golden tablets to tell them a new gospel. Well, was that angel right? I mean, it was an angel after all, supposedly. The point of all of this is to say, there are a lot of people and even supernatural beings out there telling us who God is, what he thinks, what he's about. But can we trust any of them? Or which ones do we trust? Or even when we go so far to ask the question, are the all lying? And maybe God doesn't exist at all and everyone's just making it up. I think this is why the story of Christmas is so important or one of the reasons it's so important. For centuries we've had prophets and angels. We've had talking heads. We've had signs and shadows and signs pointing us to God. But none of that is enough. It's not enough for me to know that God exists or to know much of anything about him. It's got to be trustworthy. And this is why the story of Christmas is important and it changes everything. Because in the story of Christmas, we do not just have another messenger, another prophet, another talking head. We don't just have a mouthpiece or some other one telling us. We have God himself. You see, the story of Christmas reminds us that God came to us himself. He didn't didn't just send someone else. God came himself. Colossians 2.9 says, for in him, that is for in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. See, the baby in a manger is no mere prophet, no mere king, no mere priest, no mere Messiah. This is God, very God, fully God. He is God. God has come in the manger. He's not half God, part God. He is not God with a qualification afterward. He's God. And in the Christmas story, God has taken human form. He has left heaven, he has left uh, being outside of time, and he has entered space and time and entered history. He came and he lived and he spoke and he taught and he existed. And it is not just in our Bibles and holy books that speak of his life, but our history books record his life and deeds as well. And this reality and truth, I think we have grown so accustomed to that it fails to hit us with the sheer weight of the craziness of it, right? Like, this is a thing of legend. This is a thing of of fables and myths and stories and fairy tales. It is something that seems science fiction or fantasy. Like when we read fictitious stories about the Greek gods who would come and walk among men, how Zeus would come down and walk and Athena would come down and walk among men. We read about demigods like Hercules coming to live among men. But those are stories and myths. But as C.S. Lewis would point out, Jesus and his coming is the true myth. It is something of a fairy tale, but it's actually true that God has come and entered human history, that the old fables and old legends of God's coming to earth actually happened, that God has walked this earth, that people laid their eyes on God, that they touched him, that they listened to him, they did life with him. And it all started in a little town called Bethlehem where God humbled himself so much that he was born. So here's the point. We do not have to guess anymore. We don't have to wonder anymore. We don't have to wonder if we are listening to the right people, the right person about who God is and what he stands for. We don't have to question if our sources are right. We don't have to live in doubt and speculation about who God is. We can know that we know that we know. We can know God because God himself came. We can know God because God revealed himself. He didn't have to, but he chose to show himself and to introduce himself to the world. And under no obligation, he humbles himself so that he might meet us. Instead of knowing him through a prophet or through an angel or some guy, he comes himself so that we can know him truly. Hebrews 1 said, Long ago, and many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But notice verse two: but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He has spoken, after being so distant, and speaking only through other people. After at the end of the Old Testament, there are four hundred years of silence: no prophets, no angels, no nothing. God has spoken. When you read this word in the Greek, the idea is that he has spoken, it is fully and finally to us. He's spoken to us by his son, the heir of all things, the creator of the world. And so what I want to do is show you three things that we can know for certain. Three things that we can have confidence in because God stopped just sending other people to us and God came himself. The first thing that we can know is that we can know that God exists. Because of the Christmas story, we can know that God exists. Sometimes people think that belief in God is like a blind faith, a faith that we have to just kind of close our eyes and jump off the cliff thinking that some magical barrier is going to hold us up. That's blind faith, that there's no evidence, that there's no logic, no rationale, no reason to believe that there is a God. And the only way we believe is because we're weak minded and emotionally needy. And they think our faith in God is based on nothing. And believing that there is a God is like believing in the Loveland Frogman or some other urban legend. It's silly. And I love it when people say, you know, if God is real. Brandon, if God was real, why wouldn't He just come down and show Himself to us? Why would He make us guess and wonder and have to put all the evidence together? Why wouldn't He just come and show Himself to us? To which I want to yell, He did. He did come. You see, the story of Christmas reminds us that we believe in a God not from blind faith, but because God revealed Himself to us. He chose to, He came. You know, when the Russians won the first space race uh, back in the 1950s, they, uh, they were the first nation to put a man into outer space. And one of the Russian cosmonauts who came back home, he said this. He said, I have returned from outer space, and I did not find God. A few years later, Time magazine came out with a cover that said, Is God Dead? Question mark. You see, for centuries, we looked up thinking that heaven was above us and that when we went to space, we would find the heavens and see God there. And some people thought that because we didn't find God there, that that was the nail in the coffin and God was dead. We've left the atmosphere and God's not there. There's just more stuff. But C.S. Lewis, who lived during this time, responded to that Russian cosmonaut's claim in a way that I find profoundly helpful. He essentially says, if there is a God, he wouldn't be another object in the universe that we could find and put in a lab and analyze. No, instead, God would relate to us in the same way a writer relates to the characters of his play or of his story. You take Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet could team up and go on a quest to find uh, the author of their story. They could climb to the top of their castle. They could look behind the curtain. They could go under the trapdoors. They could look and look and look, but they would never find Shakespeare because he doesn't exist in the story. They could never know the one to whom wrote their story. They could even never know if someone wrote their story at all. They might think their story just poof and became, no matter where they looked. Dorothy Sayers was a writer at the same time of Lewis, and uh, she was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. She wrote a collection of detective novels about a detective named Peter, uh, Lord Peter Whimsey, uh, who lived in the 1930s as an aristocrat in Britain and he solved all sorts of crimes. Well, about, she wrote all these books, right, series of books. Well, about halfway through the series of novels, uh, Lord Peter Whimsey is found to be depressed and sad and unhappy. He's this broken bachelor who lives in, live in a quite miserable life. Well, all of a sudden in one of the books, this new character emerges. And it's a woman, and uh, she falls in love with Lord Wimsey. And they fall in love together, and all of a sudden, he's healed. He's happy. He's full of life. He's working again. Everything's better. He's in love. Well, who was this woman that changed everything for him? Well, her, in the book, her name is Harriet Vane. And she was, uh, in the book, Harriet Vane is, the, is a woman who was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. And she is an author who wrote detective novels. Do you see what Dorothy Sayers did? Dorothy Sayers looked at the world she created. And she fell in love with the chief character, Lord Whimsy. And she knew that he was broken and that he needed healing. And she thought, who better to love and heal him than me? And so she wrote herself into her own story to love him and heal him. Does that sound familiar to you? Because that's exactly what God did. God looked at the world he made. And the people in it who he loved dearly, but he saw them broken, hurting, far from him. And he writes himself into the story. God writes himself into human history, into our stories. You see, the only way Romeo and Juliet could ever go on a quest and find that Shakespeare was real and existed was if Shakespeare wrote himself into the narrative, wrote himself into the play and the story. Shakespeare never did that, but God did. God from heaven, writing our story, writing our history, wrote himself into the play and introduced himself to us so that we could know he exists. You see, the baby in the manger is the author writing himself into our stories. He's wrote himself in. God has invaded space and time. Now, some might say, well, that proves nothing because Jesus was just a man. He wasn't really God might have been a good teacher they say but that's it and while we don't have time to go through all of the evidence about the divinity of jesus i'll give you the nugget from c.s lewis he says there's only three options for jesus if you take his claim seriously and what he said at face value jesus claimed to be god he claimed to raise from the dead so he is either a liar a lunatic or lord that's the only options you have jesus is either a liar Or he is a lunatic or he's Lord. He either lied about being God, he's a crazy madman cult leader, and you should avoid him at all costs. Or he's telling the truth. And he's Lord and he's God. What Jesus cannot be is just a man and a good teacher that doesn't match the claims he made. So the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus is God the Lord writing himself into our story that he might introduce himself to those characters he's written into the story that he's telling. That we could know he exists and that we could know he's real. So the Christmas story, one, it it lets us know, we can know that we know that God exists. And number two, because God has entered history and spoken, we can know what God thinks. We can know that we know that we know what God thinks. If I asked you today what you thought about Tom Hanks as a person, you probably have no idea. You probably have no opinion because you've either never met him or you've heard rumors or you've heard nothing uh, and you have... uh, A weak opinion or a strong opinion. But if I asked you what you thought about a family member of yours, if I asked you what you thought about your mom or your sister, you have firsthand information. And you would have a strong opinion. And you might say, let me tell you about my mom. My mom is kind and tough. She's a hard worker. She's sweet and compassionate. She stands for the truth and is unwavering in the defense of her children and on and on and on. You could tell me who she is and what she stands for and what she's about. And if I were to ask you what you thought about Benjamin Franklin as a person, you might have no idea, but you could go and read countless biographies in his autobiography. You could read firsthand accounts of those who knew him, and you could read his own words, and you could form a pretty strong opinion about Ben Franklin. And so we come to the question about who is God, and we live in a world where since the beginning of time, everyone has had opinions on who God is. On his character, on his nature, on what he stands for, on what he's about, on his rules, on his thoughts. Today is no different. There are preachers, there are athletes, there are actors, there are radio show hosts and TV personalities who will give you their opinions about who God is and their thoughts on who God is and what he's for. But how do you know if they're right? Because people make stuff up all the time. People shoot from the hip all the time. They speculate. So how can we know what God thinks, what, what he's about, what his character is, what he stands for, what he expects of us? Well, we have more than prophets, and we have more than angels. We have God himself come in the flesh, who with his very mouth tells us all that we need to know to know him and to follow him, to live a life the way he intended it. And everything that God wanted to preserve about himself, he preserved it in a book that we can read anytime we want. Sometimes people say, I just wish God would talk to them. I wish God would just give me a sign and tell me what he thinks. Well, he preserved a whole book for you, and all the things that you need to know about him are in it. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. God preserved his word that, to teach us, to instruct us, so that we could know him truly. Because he introduced himself to the world and he wanted all generations to know him. You see, we do not have to trust the words of those who speak on God's behalf because we have the very words of God in the Bible. And see, to believe or disbelieve the Bible is to believe or disbelieve God. And to obey or disobey the Bible is to obey or disobey God. It is his very word. In the coming of Jesus, he has not only proved his existence, he has told us who he is. He has shown us his heart. He has shown us exactly what he's for and what he's against. We don't have to question it. We don't have to wonder. We just have to read. And so there should be no speculation, no guesswork, no erred opinion on how we follow Jesus, on how we enter his kingdom, on how we go to heaven. Jesus made it very, very clear how to follow him, how to go to his kingdom, how to go to heaven, which leads me to my final point because of the Christmas story, because Jesus has come, God has entered history, we can know that we know that we know that God loves us. You know, know knowing other people truly love us, I think is one of the, is a hard thing for us, knowing that other people love us. I think we're, we're desperate to be loved, right? Even us gruff men in the room, we're desperate to be loved. And I think one of the reasons um, People, we say we love each other daily is because we're afraid that people will stop loving us, that they'll reject us, that we'll fail them, and they'll stop loving us. And so what do we do? We tell people we love every day. We get on the phone with our spouse, and we get off, all right, bye, I love you. Why they know we love them. Why do we keep telling them? Because we're, we're scared that maybe, maybe they've stopped We want to be reminded again. And so I think our experience as is, is our insecurity in other relationships, we bring that into God and we think, does, does God really love me? I mean, I want to know that he loves me and I think he loves me, but how do I know? You know, I, f- I failed God last week. I, uh, I keep messing up. I keep slipping up. I keep struggling. And I'm tired of me, and so I'm sure God's tired of me. And how do I actually know that he loves me? Romans 5 says this, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know, there is a very short list of people I would give my life for. And all of their last name is Wilson. And they're usually over here, but they're sick today, so they're not over here. But very short list of people I would give my life for. You know who I wouldn't give my life for? Almost everyone else. Particularly those people who hurt me, people who betray me, people who wrong me. I'm not giving my life for them. But do you know how I can know that God loves me? Because he doesn't just say, I love you. He shows it because he trades places with me. Someone who's failed him, who has wronged him, who has hurt him, who has betrayed him again and again and again. And he came not to just show us that he existed, not to just t- to tell us who he is and what he's about, but he came to redeem us, to save us, to trade places with us. He looked at me, and he looked at you and all your failures and all your sin. From the time you were born to the time you died, he knew all of it, and yet still he said, I love them so much that I'm going to go die for them. I'm going to go trade places with them and take their punishment in their stead so that they may have life. You see, we can know that God loves us, not because some preacher says so. Not because some prophet says so. You can know that God loves you because God entered history as a baby on Christmas morning. And he came with one mission, to save you by dying and taking your place, the punishment that you deserve. So I want you to think about the cross like this. The death of Jesus on the cross is a constant I love you reminder from God. You see, when you forget and when you wonder if God loves you, if he's given up on you, all you got to do is take your mind back to the cross. Because the cross is God screaming from history, I love you and I've shown you and I would do it again and again and again. It is our constant I love you reminder from God. Guys, the deeper magic of Christmas is that greater than all the gifts we give or receive this year, the greatest gift we've ever been given to us was that God entered history. He entered space and time. He entered our stories. And he hasn't kept silent. He's spoken. He's spoken and sent in his son. And so we can have confidence that he's real. We can have confidence in who he is. We have confidence that he, he actually really does love us. This Christmas season, I hope you will see past the festivities and remember that we are celebrating a truly wild and strange occurrence in history. That the creator of the world, the author of the world, wrote himself into our stories so that we could with confidence know him and be loved by him. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you and we're, we're thankful that we don't have to guess and wonder and speculate that you're real, what you're about, and if you love us, but that we can know because you are writing a story and you saw that you needed to enter that story to save us. Our history books tell of it. Our, the uh, tradition passed down tells of it. The book we have tells of it. We, we track time by your coming. Everything is screaming, pointing to your coming. And so we can know. But, Father, there are some people in this room right now who, who have struggled knowing, struggled knowing that you're real. Struggling, struggled knowing what you're about, what you stand for, who you are. Some people in this room who have struggled to believe that that a God could love them because of all of their failures. But we don't have to rest. Guys, this morning, you don't have to trust in, in me. You don't have to trust in, in what other people say. You can trust in what God who has come in the flesh has said. And what he's proven by dying on a cross, to shed blood to forgive you. What he's told us in his word, the words that he spoke with a real mouth in the real time. That anybody who comes to him and believes that he died and was risen from the dead, believes that in their heart and confesses with their mouth, they'll be saved. You know, Jesus doesn't come to those who will clean themselves up and get themselves right and fix everything in their life and then you come to him. Jesus came for prostitutes and tax collectors and drug addicts. He came for drunks and liars and gossips and adulterers. He came for homosexuals. He came for rapists and murderers. It came for me and you, idolaters. It came for the broken. And so if you're broken in this room, Jesus has come for you. And so this morning, would you trust in him, rest in him? And if you don't know him this morning, when we sing this song, I'm going to stand over here and I invite you to come and say, Brent, I want to know Jesus. And let me lead you into knowing him. It would be my joy. If I can pray, for, pray with you about anything, I would be honored to do that. Or let's just stand and sing together to the joys of Christmas that God has come. Father, we love you so much. In Christ's name, we pray. All those people said, we'll stand together.